Welcome to another episode of the Property Pulse Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Stockbridge. Every episode, we bring you the first principles of real estate, interviews with the identities and influences that are making their mark on the real estate community and bringing you hints and tips that we hope helps you make and save tens of thousands of dollars on your real estate journey. Okay, firstly, to those people that haven't already registered for the newsletter. Now, there's over four and a half thousand people that get this every single week, and you don't want to miss out because every week I cover off on the most topical issues associated with the real estate market. This It doesn't seem to matter what's going on, whether it's COVID-19 issues affecting the real estate market, banking issues affecting the real estate market, government policy, whatever it might be that's affecting real estate right now, you're going to hear more of that in the newsletter. And so there really are my detailed thoughts on what is going on right now, what's affecting it, what's and more importantly, what you can do about it. So uh, for some people, it's do nothing, stay put. There's there's no need to do anything. For others it's uh, who are in the marketplace right now, they've got to make a decision. If, if you're a buyer or a seller and you're about to transact sometime in the next six to eight weeks, well, you really need this information. And so I do suggest you to subscribe away. Now, if you're on the Facebook page right now, you can do that simply by, you can comment, you can, uh, even if you just send me a direct message or make sure that you're on the list. And if you're listening on the podcast right now, now, then you can email my team on daves at realagents.properties, that's ies.properties, no.coms or .au's. If you send that through, if you send your details through to us on that email address, we'll make sure that you're registered and ready to go. Hi, Trisha, hope you're well. Hi, Brian. Hope you're well, and I'm sure you'll find this uh, particularly valuable. Um, so we're recording this also on the podcast today, so that um, uh, those people that are listening anywhere in the, around the world uh, where the first principles of real estate can be applied can take some of this information and uh, and apply it to uh, their particular marketplace. But I, w- I want to talk to you today about the six things right now that are affecting the real estate market and why I think that in 2021 uh, we're uh, in line for a correction. And first and foremost, and and you would have heard me bang on about this before, all markets are about supply and demand. Supply and demand. You can read everything else into it, but supply and demand are where it's at. And this is why I've been able to consistently read the market and project what's going to happen in the market better than the best economists in the nation over the last few years. I'm at the coalface, I'm seeing it in real time. I'm not looking at reports from three or four months ago. I'm not trying to guess what's likely to happen. I'm living it in the moment. And so what is it that I'm feeling in the moment right now? G'day, Thomas, I hope you're well. Well, first and foremost, it's a lack of availability uh, rather than an abundance of buyers that's driving the dynamic in the marketplace right now. G'day, Luke, I hope you're going great. So a lack of availability is what's driving the market now more than an abundance of buyers. Now, agents seemingly have got this wrong a little bit. And I I hear a lot of agents reporting on their social media uh, about how many buyers there are out there. Well, it's not actually the case. The the, the volume of buyers is actually somewhat short um, of where it would typically be, but new listings are, are receiving a disproportionate amount of attention simply through lack of availability. Now, the reason why we know this is the case is because if your property is on the market four or five or six weeks, then you'll notice that the numbers do drop away 
quite dramatically. The tide goes out on the buyers almost as quickly as that wave of buyers found their way to the first open inspection. Now, vendors are getting a little bit caught in a trap, feeling that they're, well, they're, they're the prettiest girl at the ball. Their listing is the one that everybody wants. And so sometimes hold out uh, for that absolute outright premium in that first week or so, even though they may well have an abundance of offers at hand. Now, a lot of those vendors that are saying no to great offers early on in the hope that there'll be continued numbers through the door and increased competition as the weeks draw on are finding themselves disappointed because, as I said before, that the tide certainly goes out on the buyers much more quickly uh, than what the early numbers might indicate in a traditional market. And why is that? It's because of a lack of availability. So every new release is at the moment getting a disproportionate amount of numbers through the door and once those numbers have come and gone it can be a little bit of a struggle thereafter and so they're exposing to us that the pool of buyers that are out there right now um, well that it's just not quite as deep as what a lot of agents are reporting and we're seeing that bear through because we are now at record low transactional numbers 2019 was the previous record low in South Australia and and even and even in those very very tight market conditions, we only had incremental capital growth. And so there's another key indicator. If you're talking about a really super tight market with an abundance of buyers, you're going to see capital growth in double digits. Now, we haven't seen that. We didn't see it in 2019, and we're not seeing it in 2020. We are seeing good growth and really good prices being achieved in isolation early on. But then we're seeing that properties are selling for pretty much what we feel they're worth come week four, week five, week six. Rarely are there surprises when it comes to the value as the campaign drags on. And so unless properties are selling competitively, multiple offers, and early on the pricing, generally speaking, isn't the out-and-out premium um, that you'll hear a lot of agents boasting about when they sell in the first week or so. Another factor that's driving the marketplace is the COVID stimulus money. Well, th this month marks the very end of the uh, of the stimulus with respect to JobKeeper in the way that it was originally released. And we're seeing it being applied in a more targeted way and businesses still able to receive support that need it. But um, I guess a lot of the waste that was associated uh, with JobKeeper is certainly gone now. Um, and so JobKeeper, JobSeeker allowances are, are starting to normalise. And so people just can't rely on their financial situation being underpinned by the federal government anymore. They can't sit at home um, or, and take one or two shifts a week and still receive a really good income. But the other thing that's impacting when it comes to property sales as a result of that, there are a lot of people that have fallen out of work as a result of COVID or found that their hours were cut back severely and who might not find that those hours normalise anytime soon, especially people in hospitality as we're seeing a lot of um, uh, businesses in hospitality right now looking to make medium term adjustments to their staffing levels based on what's happened relatively recently. Um, it seems that there's a lot of those businesses that are reticent to go back to the higher staffing levels that perhaps they had before. Um, and, uh, and perhaps half in anticipation of a, a third wave perhaps, but also because businesses have become more efficient over recent times running with uh, lower staffing levels and have been able to kind of uh, prime their business hours in such a way that they get the maximum return for the hours spent. And so a lot of businesses now having worked out that alchemy as to uh, the, the best uh, way to balance off um, wages against uh, time open and hours uh, available for business are now, um, are now looking to apply that new methodology moving forward. And my 
might not be returning as quickly as many people anticipated back to normal trading hours. We're also seeing that very much in retail already where um, if you walk through a, a, a suburban shopping center on a Sunday, still a lot of those businesses are closed um, and, and might not be in a hurry to reopen and uh, resume traditional trading hours. Hey Ava, I hope you're going great. So so we're not what we're not seeing at the moment as a result of that is a lot of distress sales, a lot of for sales. So we've had people at home on JobKeeper or who have slowly been working their way back into the into normal working hours. Um, but as businesses don't receive that support, as the stimulus measures tend uh, are starting to pair back, um, and as we uh, find ourselves in a circumstance where the banks are starting to call in some of these delinquent loans, we're going to start to see. Uh, more distressed sales come to market. Now keep in mind that there are thousands and thousands and thousands of people that have called their bank and asked to put their mortgages on hold uh, and, and and because of the COVID measures have been able to do that and do that well. Um, and that was the whole point. We, what underpins a successful economy is the real estate market. And so it, it's quite fair to say these were good, sensible measures made on behalf of the federal government to ensure that people weren't left homeless in a time of financial distress and that they had the security and, and, and knowledge that they did have this time up their sleeve where they could see how the dust settles and then finally make a determination. But what it's also meant is that there are a lot of people that were selling because they weren't having a good financial time before COVID hit. Now, some of those people were saved by COVID and the stimulus measures, others weren't, and but they haven't needed to sell their home. So we're going to have two bunch of motivated sellers on the market. One, we're going to have financial institutions taking possessions of property. And so uh, as a result of the banks taking possession, they'll be selling and selling in a timely fashion. That's their mandate when they take on a property to sell on behalf of the client who hasn't been able to sustain the payments. And then we're going to have those people who are pre that stage. So they're not yet at the stage where the bank's taking possession, but they might be at the stage where they're having deep and meaningful conversations with their lending institution in the lead up to perhaps a possession taking place. And so those people, those people will be coming to market and will be more motivated than typical. So it's fair to say that there will be more property on the market, but with more highly motivated vendors as we move into 2021 than what we've experienced now, which might increase that transactional level. It'll certainly increase the volume of stock that's available and on the market. But keeping in mind, these aren't going to be the vendors that are going to be waiting out for an absolute premium or not selling at all. These going to be the vendors that are seeking to sell in, within the first month of coming to market. And if not sell, they'll make adjustments in order in, in terms of their expectations in order to sell sooner rather than later. And that is a whole body of stock that our marketplace hasn't seen in any type of volume in a very, very long time. And so if we start to see transactional numbers normalise, but we still see the pool of buyers remain con in this contracted state, then we're going to see property prices negatively affected. And this may be probably the first time in two or three years that I've found myself in agreement with the chief economists of the four major banks who are all now suggesting an adjustment across the entire Australian real estate portfolio of about 10 to 12% uh, in the capital value. Now, that type of double digits uh, adjustment seems to be a fair and reasonable um, expectation given the motivation of those home sellers and the increase in transactional activity that may well come about. Now, what will the banks do in order to mitigate this? Well, I think they'll, it'll be they'll 
be approaching this very, very sensitive issue in, uh, in an appropriate way. And, and an appropriate way would be um, to work very closely with their clients to, wherever possible, empower them to take care of the process themselves. One, it costs the bank, uh, I won't say exactly the amount, but it's over $10,000 to facilitate a, a, a mortgagee in possession and to go through that whole process of appointing an agent, getting the property tidied up, sometimes moving the owner's possessions, getting removalists involved, all of that type of thing. It, it's a, it's a very much a process. And of course, people have to administer that process both with inside the bank and uh, and outside. Um, they often have agents and uh, not just uh, selling agents, but third party agents that facilitate this process. And that all that all costs money. It costs time, and and for the amount of time that it takes to do to undertake that process, of course, that's mortgage repayments not being made. And so, uh, for banks, it's a loss for them uh, to in this circumstance. Often, um, they're also uh, undertaking this process for people that are at the high end of the LVR spectrum. In other words, you know, they're 95 percent lens. And so, if there is that five or ten percent adjustment in the property's value, um, then obviously. Obviously, they're, they're losing money on this. So, and the banks aren't in the business of losing money. So they're going to do all they can to mitigate this. They'll do this in several ways. One, they'll work closely with their clients in, in order to empower them to undertake this process themselves. For themselves, for as long as the client's undertaking the process themselves, they're more likely to um, uh, protect the value of the property, defend the value of the property. Now, the, the vendor can do that in any number of ways. One, by determining a, a sales price or a likely sale range, and with it not being a forced sale, and the vendor having that little bit of time on their side in order to better present the property for sale and to ultimately uh, sell the home in a in a timely fashion, but without the time frame pressures imposed by a lender, then that gives that client every chance of uh, getting every cent that they can for the home. Um, of course, when the banks take possession, it's fair and reasonable as well. That's their mandate. But it's fair to say that those properties aren't normally presented as well as what a uh, an owner-occupier would who's got a vested interest in the result. And so empowering vendors to, to take care of the sales themselves is one way that the banks will be safeguarding themselves uh, against heavy losses. The, the other way is that they'll control the flow of stock to market. So as I mentioned before, there's tens of thousands of properties, people that are in distress right now, mortgage distress, who are going to uh, deploy their home to market uh, um, either themselves or the banks are going to do it uh, for them over the next 12 to 18 months. What the banks can't afford is for there to be a deluge of stock. And so this last six to nine months worth of, uh, of um, I guess, uh, pent up uh, vendor activity um, that could be uh, sparked as a result of bad circumstance is going to um, is not going to it's not going to be wise for the banks to bring that all to market at the same time. Hi, Kirsty, how are you? Hope you well. Left a message for Mark a little bit earlier. Um, so, so that's that's where we find ourselves uh, with respect to that. So we've got that nine or so months worth of distress sales that will have to come to market at some time. Now, I don't believe the banks are going to let that happen all at once. If they did, it would be a catastrophic disaster for our economy. It would be a disaster for homeowners across the country that rely on having that extra five or ten percent in equity so that they can borrow against and access whether that be for business or to go buy a car and and to pump money into the economy in other ways um, so i don't think the banks will do that um, but 
it is very interesting that there is going to be a problem there that needs to be solved sometime over the next two or so years. Either way, I can't see that it won't lead to more properties on the market. And as I said before, supply and demand just dictates and determines all marketplaces. And so there's too much pent up uh, potential sales activity there in the pipeline to come that it won't negatively impact uh, home sellers in the next 12 or so months. So um, now not all home buyers buy. So a lot of agents are reporting huge numbers at open inspections. And I've certainly done uh, the same over recent weeks where new releases, as I mentioned previously, have been particularly well attended. Um, But I, I think what a lot of agents aren't factoring in is the fact that not all buyers buy. Um, And of all of those people, you can't have 50, 60 people at an open inspection for them all to buy that home. And not only that, but they won't buy whatever's left on the market either. So there's a a huge percentage of people that are in curiosity mode, not transactional mode. There's a lot of people that are in consideration mode. They're thinking about a move in real estate. They're projecting out for the next six to 12 months and they're sussing out the marketplace. Now, they're, they're starting to find their way to open inspections, but also consider that there was that time when we couldn't do open inspections where those buyers might not have been able to go out there and check out the market and interface with real estate agents and slap balls and become familiar. Hi, Georgina, I hope you're going great and become familiar with, uh, with the real estate market. Well, those people are certainly out there at the moment and they're not, uh, they're certainly not buying all the time. So um, it's just simply not the case. And so although we feel spoilt by the level of interest that we're receiving at early open inspections, the reality is, is that not all of those people are transacting now. And most of those people are going to consider transacting at exactly that time when there's going to be more property on the market. And that's certainly the suggestion now coming through from most that know the industry well, including myself, is that if you're a buyer, I wouldn't be in a rush to be buying right now. That is simply not the case. Why would you buy in the hottest selling conditions ever? It just doesn't make any sense. If you're not in any rush to buy, then I'd just be simply waiting off. Now, people say to me, yeah, but what what if I'm selling now and buying in the same market? Well, you know what? It doesn't really much matter, especially if you're going to be sitting in your home for the next 20 years or so. So if you're selling at the in a great market and you're buying in a great market, awesome. But if you're exiting the market, then you probably want to do so now. Or if you're thinking about exiting the market in the next six to, uh, well, actually let's project out. If you're thinking about selling any time in the next two years, I would consider quickening things up a little bit and coming to market before Christmas. Because if you're exiting the market, you're getting out completely, then and that might be because you're going into retirement accommodation might be you're moving overseas might be that you're having a change of lifestyle and you're going to rent for a while if you're exiting the market and getting out and you're planning on doing that in the next two years why wait do it now sell in the hottest market conditions don't sell in 12 months time when these mortgage sales are on the market don't sell in 12 months time when these people that have been on job keeper and been able to pay for their lifestyle up to now on the government stimulus um, don't don't wait for them to come to market when you want to come to market bring your bring your decision making forward and and look to do that sooner rather than later um so now, all of these factors coalesce and and um, another little thing that comes to mind is that we've been roughly running at a per capita recession for some time. And if it wasn't for an a, a, a increase in 
uh, immigration into this country over the last three to five years, if we hadn't seen that explosion in numbers, then we would actually be in a recession and would have been in a recession already because we wouldn't have had the increase in property values that have gone to increase our GDP. So now we haven't taken in uh, much by way of migrants over the last six to nine months. And um, and of course, it's probably unlikely to, that those numbers will be restored anytime soon. Now, if you um, are observant at all around the northern suburbs of Adelaide in particular, or you live in any suburb, uh, suburban centre anywhere in mainland Australia right now, then what you'll notice is that the complexion and the cultures that are finding their way into the areas, uh, into the suburbs, now is uh, vastly different to what it was 10 or 15 years ago. And so um, as a result of that, you'll understand this more keenly than most. Uh, who are the buyers in the marketplace? Who's actually looking to secure real estate right now? Is it um, you know, uh, little Aussie Vegemites or, or is the market pressure coming from immigrants that are finding their way into the country and after being here for 36, 48, 60 months, decide this is the best country in the world, we want to raise our family here, it's time to make ourselves permanent residents and it's time to get ourselves a little slice of the Australian dream. Now, at the moment, that's a huge component of our marketplace in the northern suburbs of Adelaide So, and, and has been for some time. So just imagine what's going to happen in, say, 24, 36, 60 months time when a whole year or two years worth of buyers isn't there anymore. You certainly don't want to be selling in those market conditions. You want to sell now whilst those buyers are active now. That's definitely what you want to be doing. So. Um, we've been in a per capita recession, we've had record low transactional activities, and now let's look at the government's response uh, to this. Now, the government's response um, just announced uh, on Friday, just a few days ago, was that they're going to free up credit. They're going to make it easier for Aussies to go and borrow money and to buy real estate uh, in particular, but in anything of value, you know, cars, boats, caravans, they, they, they would like the economy awash with borrowed funds. Now, whew, okay, where do we start with this one? First and foremost, Australians are the most indebted people in the world. We hold more private debt already because our real estate values are amongst the highest in the world. You might have heard my podcast from a few weeks ago where I was just outlining to you how Adelaide is now more expensive to buy real estate in real terms than New York. So, okay, so how, how has all of that happened? Now, that's a whole different podcast, but the reality is that we are the most indebted people in the world right now, and the government wants to make it even easier for us to borrow money. Now, how is it difficult to borrow money when it's at two and a half, three percent 3%? I mean, it, it should be super easy. Serviceability was freed up just last this time last year, last October. APRA made a judgment that Australians could borrow more money against their income than what they could just before. And so just to give you an insight as to how that affects our marketplace in real terms, it means that a young couple buying their first home 12 months ago might have been stuck at 300. Well, now they can get closer to 330. Uh, so that, that little bit of 
extra, guess what happened? Property values go up a little bit. These people, most people have, and I call it the radio rentals mentality for those people old enough to remember radio rent, rentals. And that is because if people believe that they can afford it per week, they'll they'll borrow it. They'll spend every cent that they're allowed to get if they believe that they can afford to pay it back on a weekly basis. And so just that little nuanced adjustment uh, by APRA that made it easier for everyday Aussies to borrow a little bit more money had a simulating effect on our marketplace. Now, we've got the federal government saying that's not enough. We want to make it even easier, even easier for Aussies to borrow money. We want to make sure that there's a flow of credit filtering through the economy. So, well, isn't this so what this is it's winding back those measures that were put in place after the gfc now why were those measures put in place after the gfc well real simply because we had an economic collapse based on the fact that banks were lending out money to people who couldn't afford to pay it back because and 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 this started in america but there was a knock-on effect all around the Western world, and the whole world did not avoid the GFC. It was called the global financial crisis for a reason. And the whole thing that kicked that whole shebang off was the fact that banks were lending money to average people who couldn't afford to pay it back. Now, the federal government's response now seems to be to do the same. Now, for many pundits, including myself, who are firmly of the belief that the economy didn't really recover after the GFC, and it didn't really recover because we didn't make the structural reforms to the economy necessary for it to be able to recover. Essentially, we just gave it a big jab of stimulus and got through it by printing more money. And very much the same way, we've just gone through that process of printing more money to keep the economy afloat through the coronavirus. And guess what? We're, we're back to where we were before the coronavirus, thereabouts, but we're, we're there on uh, borrowed money, and I think we're there on borrowed time. Uh, and so now the, uh, the federal government's looking to push all of today's problems further off into the future by letting you and me and everybody else borrow more than what perhaps we can afford to pay back. I don't think that's a sustainable response. I don't think it's a responsible uh, response to the particular set of issues that we find ourselves in. I think the structural reforms that needed to be put in place uh, weren't put in place. But one of the things that was changed structurally and a lot of people aren't familiar with is the fact that the government now have bail-in rules. So why is it that perhaps there's not a big issue when it comes to the banks collapsing. Now, why did the banks collapse in 2008? Because they were lending money to people who couldn't afford to pay it back. So what's going to stop the banks from collapsing into the future? Well, well, essentially what happened last time was that the banks got bailed out by the governments. Next time, the banks will be bailed out by you and me because Julia Gillard, in the wake of the GFC, put in place an, an, an ability for the banks to swipe out of your or my account any monies that we've got held in within our bank accounts they can if they happen to be losing so much or on the brink of collapse they can delve into your account and my account take out what they need now this is what they did in greece and this is what they are now able to do here so 
maybe, maybe the federal government uh, don't feel like this is a bad thing. At the end of the day, they're not guaranteeing this uh, at all, uh, unlike the small business loans, which they went 50% guarantor on. They're not guaranteeing this. They're just making it easier for you and I to make a financial mistake and to go into greater debt than what we can afford. Simply the reason because it's not the federal government that'll be bailing them out, uh, bailing the banks out if all this goes terribly wrong in another 10 years time. It's you and it's me. It'll be coming out of your account. It'll be coming out of my account. And the legislation's in place that enables the banks to do exactly that. So in whose interest was this uh, to um, this federal government announcement to make it easier for people to borrow money? And what is going to be the overall effect on the real estate market? Well, one, I think there's going to be, uh, for every buyer that it brings to market um, as a result of making it easier for them to borrow, I think there'll be at least an extra property come to market as a result of having eight to nine months worth of pent up sales activity come to market in the next two years. If we overlay that activity over and above what would have occurred anyway, then we're going to find ourselves in a situation where there's going to be the more stock available in the next 12 to 18 months than what there has been over the last 12 to 18 months. Um, I think that'll have a corrective effect or a softening effect on property values. I think that'll have a detrimental effect across the economy because if we come back by 5 or 10%, that means that well, I reckon it'll mean, and I don't have the statistics in front of me, but let's just say a very large proportion of people will find themselves in negative equity, meaning that they owe more money on their property than what the property's worth. That'll lead to more stagnation in the economy because it doesn't mean that people will have the mobility to be able to sell out of their property um, at all and go into the rental market or sell out or sell up or move sideways. It'll only give them the mobility downwards to sell down because they'll have to sell down in order to buy it lower price point should be perhaps okay for those people that are downsizing but still not really you know it's, it's not the best of situations um, and it's only going to be somewhat exacerbated by this uh, new uh, federal government announcement so uh, Michelle I hope you're well thanks so much for tuning in so they're my thoughts on what's going on in the marketplace right now. Um, I will just reiterate to anybody who's thinking about selling in the next six to 12 months, if it's a thought that's in your mind and you've been uh, considering it, then bring that decision forward. Uh, do what you can to be on the market between now and Christmas. Um, I boldly predicted this time last year that it would take an external event, another GFC scale event, in order to detrimentally affect our real estate market in 2020. Because this time last year, it looked like green skies were ahead. We had low interest rates. We uh, we had. Um, all of the land tax debacle behind us. We had the federal election behind us. Um, and it looked like things were, were, were finally going to kind of settle down a little bit and we we're going to have a good year in 2020. But you know, uh, alas, uh, we had more than a GFC scale event. Um, it, did the GFC only affected, I think it was the UK economy, it was only a contraction of uh, single figures um, in that first month, whereas coronavirus had knocked the UK economy by about 25% of its GDP or 22%, something along those lines. So the scale of the coronavirus has, uh, uh, and the impact that that's had on the global economy has been far greater than what the GFC was. So Australia has done, once again, uh, relatively well to escape this unscathed thus far. 
It's what comes next. Now, this is, this is going to be the issue. And what's coming next? The only thing that I can see on the horizon, the only thing I can see on the horizon is more stock on the market, more people selling because they have to sell, more motivated sellers coming to market. I don't see any reason why there would be a, a higher volume of buyers come to market in the next 12 months than what we've experienced. And I think projecting out into the medium term, the, the effects of the pandemic uh, that uh, on my immigration into this country is going to have a detrimental effect to property values across the board. Rebecca, I hope you're going well. Thanks so much for tuning in. So they're my thoughts. Home sellers should speed up that process and seek to get on the market in December, uh, by December this year if you can. These are the hottest selling conditions now. The hot uh, that I've ever seen. The hottest selling conditions, they don't last long. Um, they're, they're normally just a, just a glimmer in the overall scheme of things. So if you can sell whilst the market's burning up, that's when you want to sell. Uh, you certainly don't want to be selling, I think, in another 12 to 18 months time if you can choose not to and you can plan the process to get out ahead of what is likely to happen in 20. 21. So I'm Dave from Real. Uh, we're uh, October, we're before the long weekend, and uh, we're looking forward to daylight savings next weekend. Uh, there'll be more evening inspections, more opportunities for people to view properties. Um, I don't see that there'll be that many more properties on the market. Uh, my conversations with uh, agents across the country uh, has been that they're not in expectation of a boom of listings. So if you're a buyer frustrated by the lack of availability, those frustrations are going to continue, I think, between now and Christmas. So making it a great time to sell. Um, for buyers, if you don't need to buy, my suggestion is is going to be to wait it out, wait and see. I think there might be better value available to you in 2021, certainly in six to 12 months time. I think we'll be talking about there being certainly more properties to choose from. And I don't think that this loosening of credit is going to have the upward tick uh, in the same way as uh, what the supply and demand would typically uh, determine uh, quite naturally. So there you have it. They're my thoughts. Um, if you are considering selling, uh, then and you do want to have a private conversation about it, certainly just direct message me. Always happy to do so. If you haven't already tuned into the podcast where I cover off on all of these topics, as a matter of fact, as you can probably see if you're watching on Facebook right now, I'm recording this for the podcast. So you'll get the very best information available on my podcast. And if you subscribe, to my newsletter, then similarly, you'll get my thoughts in great detail about what's going on. Every week, we bring in the very best quality of information that I can conjure uh, to help you make and save tens of thousands of dollars on your real estate journey. Thank you very much, guys. I'm Dave from Real, and I look forward to bringing you more next time.